I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah, uh, that's summertime feeling. When the sun is real high in the sky, the air is warm, and, and you sweat kind of easily, not doing a whole heck of a lot, just going out to your car, and next thing you know, sweating. Bubble gum, bubbly sodas. All these things make for an endless summer, including uh, the excitement and anticipation of what this summer will bring. Will it bring excitement and adventure? New friends, uh, possibly love. For me, mine started out with jerks. Uh, I have been doing a lot of house projects since I moved in here. One is getting rid of the rodents and flies in my basement. Uh, and flies in my house. Finally got that figured out. Got the rodent thing figured out. So everything's pretty calm. Uh, I did find a dead mole on top of my washing machine, so that sucked. Uh, how the hell that thing got in? I have no idea. It was a, a tiny little baby mole, too. It wasn't a big fat mole. But still, I had to look it up. Is that a mouse? Why hasn't it got a tail? Uh, ah, gross. It's a dead baby mole. Does that mean I got like a mole family somewhere in my basement? So that's disturbing. But I, uh... Finally got it all figured out, set myself back up in the basement for the podcast studio, because I've been recording my bedroom for the longest time, and, uh, victory is mine, and let the summer begin. Another aspect of housework is, uh, I've been working on my lawn. Last year, uh, the lawn was pretty patchy, didn't look all that great, so I laid down seeds and did the fertilizer and whatever else, did all that stuff and watered and spent the whole summer watering twice to three times a day. And eventually the grass kind of grew, and then as winter came and spring, the grass came back, and it looks great. Still a couple dead spots in the front yard, so I've been working on that. Grass won't grow. I've seeded it three different times, uh, but it's still not growing. So I'm out there. That's that's my big, my big battle for the summer, the grass wars, and I'm going to win the grass wars. But I'm getting sick of watering. I'm out there early in the morning and late at night, and I uh, kind of wish it could be done. But... Uh, someone, like I said before, did compliment how beautiful my front yard looks. And so I thought, ah, well, everyone in the neighborhood wishes they were me. So, even though I don't like watering, at least, uh, I know that secretly, uh, they're cheering me on. Like, uh, as if I'm an Olympic athlete. And, um, but, so, a couple days ago, I'm out there watering the dead spots early in the morning. And a woman walks by with her little dog. She gestures at me. So I take my earbud out, and I said, uh, you talking to me? And she said, oh, I was just wishing you a good morning. And I said, uh, hi, good morning to you. And then she went on to say, oh, I noticed you, you, uh, been watering your lawn. And I say, oh, yeah, I've been working on this thing since I moved in here. And she said, ah, oh, ha, ha, I think it's a waste of water. And I was like, what the hell was that? I'm literally standing here with a hose, watering, and she had to say that. But me being nice guy... 
I uh, just said, oh, well, you know, when I'm done with the dead spots, I'll go back into collecting my lawn like everybody else. <laughs> and then kick myself for the next two days. Why the heck didn't I stand up to her and say, the hell is wrong with you? Why'd you insult a total stranger like that? But I didn't. And so uh, I just had to let it go and move on. Then a friend of mine texted me saying that she has a co-worker who's getting a divorce. And this co-worker is uh, basically fleeing her spouse and getting her own apartment and uh, needs furniture. So I say, oh, that's too bad. And divorce stinks, and I know what it's like and everything. So if I can help out, I, uh, just let me know. I have a, a divorce futon. It's something a friend gave me when I got divorced, and it was basically my bed for the longest time. So, uh, you know, she's welcome to that if she wants it. Turns out she wants it. So she comes over, uh, looks at the futon, decides that she wants to have it, and uh, we take it apart and we start putting it into her little tiny car and make pleasantries and small talk. And then she uh, has to make two trips because her car is so small. So she comes back a second time. We load the rest in the car and she starts kind of opening up more about how her husband uh, was really worried about the... The, like the the protests and the the rioting that was happening in the beginning of the protests and stuff, and so he bought a gun, and so then she left, and I thought, well, none of this is any of my business, and I'm just going to keep a mouth shut. Uh, but you know, did, did I, I did say, did you were you worried about your safety? And she's like, well, no, not so much. He just got the gun because he was he was scared of protesters. And I thought, okay, whatever, I'm not getting involved. And so then, like, we pack up the rest in the car, and she says, uh, can I get a water? And I was like, yeah, you can get a water. And then she complains about her husband some more, and I'm starting to get tired. And then she says, oh, you got a, you got a cat. And I said, yeah, my cat is, uh, you know, 22 years old. Oh, do you mind if I pet him? I love cats. I'm like, oh, God. So she sits down on the couch and she starts petting the cat. Then she asks for a brush because she wants to brush the cat. Oh, she loves cats so much. She misses brushing cats. So I get a brush and then she's leaving cat hair everywhere, all over the couch, like balls in it and stuff. This is just getting ridiculous. So I'm sitting there, still being friendly, making small talk, but uh, about an hour and 40 minutes go by before she finally decides to get up and leave. Ugh. Unfortunately, I had pointed out a bookshelf and another table that she could have if she wanted it. So she texts me later saying, do you mind if I come back next week to get the bookshelf and the table? And I was like, uh, sure, fine. And then uh, the next day, she texts me just to chat, which I was thinking, this isn't going well. Uh, I'm not a good person to find out if people are flirting with me. I'm not uh, very aware of that sort of thing, but I'm starting to think that this uh, person's very clingy. And so during the conversation, she's 10 years younger than me. I made a point of pointing out how old I am, which, of course, she shouted that down. And then I pointed out about how I'm single, have been single for a while, and don't plan on dating again. And uh, then I I brought it up casually. I'm a smooth talker. I brought it up casually in conversation. It appeared natural, not so uh, forced. And she got mad at me. She said, oh, my God, I can't believe you're rejecting me. Uh, I said, oh. She goes, yeah, it turns out I like you, and I have big plans. Uh, like, oh. <laughs> and she said, uh, I don't like being rejected. I don't handle rejection well. And I thought, oh, my God, this is tail spinning. So then she uh, basically says, never talk to me again. The next day, she says, do you care if I come for that uh, bookcase and that table? And I said, no. I don't want you to come to my house again. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable now. 
And so, uh, and she talked down to me a little bit uh, over text, and then that's the last I heard about her. So, what's the point of this big, long story? My summer has started off by having people both praise and mock my home projects. When I try to be friendly and nice, it backfires. So, let's see how we can tie this theme in uh, to the first couple chapters of this week's book. I am going to be reading uh, The Adventures of uh, Tom Sawyer. Uh, I'm a little nervous because I read this in junior high and I remember that it uh, had a racial aspect to it, which for its time was very positive and uh, probably progressive. But I'm sure reading it now, uh, it's probably going to be offensive as hell. So I'm a little nervous about that. We're going to have to see how that plays out. But it's summertime. And nothing says summer like Tom Sawyer, a book that somehow I associate with uh, hot summer days and taking your stick and uh, dragging it across a picket fence and whistling to yourself while being barefoot. Yeah. All right, well, let's get started. Well, let's learn a little bit about the uh, author, uh, Samuel Langhorn Clemens. His pen name was Mark Twain. Born November 30th, 1835, and passed away on April 21st, 1910. He's an American writer, humorist, entrepreneur, publisher, and lecturer. He was lauded as the greatest humorist the United States has produced and William Faulkner called him the father of American literature. His novels include uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, which we'll be reading, and its sequel, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, uh, the latter often called The Great American Novel, which we won't be reading. Tom Sawyer is Twain's first attempt to write a novel on his own. He had previously written contemporary uh, autobiographical... (laughs) God, I hate it when I do that. Narratives. The Innocence Abroad, or The New Pilgrim's Progress, Roughing It. And the two short texts called Sketches, uh, which parody the youth literature of the time. These are the story of the good boy and the story of the wicked little boy, which are satirical texts of a few pages. In the first, a model child is never rewarded and ends up dying before he can declaim in his last words that he was carefully prepared. In the second story... An evil little boy steals and lies like Tom Sawyer, but finishes rich and successful. Tom appears as a mixture of these little boys, since he is, at the same time, a scamp and a boy endowed with certain generosity. By the time he wrote Tom Sawyer, Twain was already a successful author based on the popularity of The Innocents Abroad. He owned a large house in Hartford, Connecticut, but needed another success to support himself. With a wife and two daughters... He had collaborated on a novel with Charles Dudley Warner, The Gilded Age, which was published in 1874. He had earlier written an unpublished memoir of his own life in the Mississippi and corresponded with a boyhood friend, Will Bowen, both of which had evoked many memories and were used as source material. Twain named his fictional character after a San Francisco fireman uh, who he had met in June of 1863. The real Tom Sawyer was a local hero famous for rescuing 90 passengers after a shipwreck. Uh, 
The two remained friendly during Twain's three-year stay in San Francisco, often drinking and gambling together. Uh, Sequels and other works featuring Tom Sawyer, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, uh, Tom Sawyer Abroad, and Tom Sawyer the Detective. Uh, Tom Sawyer, the story's title character, also appears in two other uncompleted sequels, Huck and Tom Among the Indians, and Tom Sawyer's Conspiracy. He is also a character in Twain's unfinished Schoolhouse Hill. So, apparently, Mark Twain, or better known as Samuel Langhorn Clemens, had the same problem with sequels that uh, most writers today have. So that's a little depressing. But let's dive into the story. The Adventures of Tom Sawyer Preface Most, in all caps, of the adventures recorded in this book really occurred. One or two were experiences of my own. The rest, those of boys who were schoolmates of mine. Huck Finn is drawn from life. Tom Sawyer also, but not from an individual. He's a combination of the characteristics of three boys whom I knew and therefore belongs to the composite order of architecture. The odd superstitions touched upon were all prevalent among children and slaves in the West at the period of the story, that is to say, 30 or 40 years ago. Although my book is intended mainly for the entertainment of boys and girls, I hope it will not be shunned by men and women on that account, for part of my plan has been to try to pleasantly remind adults of what they were themselves and how they felt and thought and talked and what queer enterprises they sometimes engaged in. From the author, Hartford, 1876. Chapter 1. Tom! No answer. Tom! No answer. What's gone with that boy, I wonder? You, Tom? No answer. The old lady... Yeah, pulled her spectacles down and looked over them about the room. Then she put them up and looked out under them. She seldom or never looked through them for so small a thing as a, a boy. They were her state pair, the pride of her heart, and they were built for style, not service. She could have seen through a pair of uh, stove lids <laughs> just as well. She looked perplexed uh, for a moment. And then said, uh, not fiercely, but still loud enough for the furniture to hear, Well, if I lay and get a hold of you, I'll... She'd not finish, for by this time, she was bending down and punching under the bed with a broom. And so she needed breath to punctuate the punches with. She resurrected nothing but the cat. I never did see the beat of that boy. She went to the open door and stood in it and looked out among the tomato vines and jimson weeds that constituted the garden. No, Tom. She lifted up her voice at an angle and calculated for distance and shouted, You, Tom. There was a slight noise behind her. She turned just in time to uh, seize a small boy by the slack of his roundabout as arrested his flight. There! I might have thought of that closet. What are you doing in there? Yeah, nothing. Nothing? Yeah, look at your hands. Yeah, look at your mouth. What is that truck? I don't know, Aunt. Well, I know. It's jam. That's what it is. Forty times I said, if you didn't let that jam alone, I'd skin you. Hand me that switch. The switch? 
hovered in the air. The pearl was desperate. My, look behind you, aunt. The old lady whirled around and snitched her skirts out of danger. The lad fled on the instant, scrambled up the high board fence, and disappeared over it. Eyes on Polly stood surprised for a moment, and then broke into a gentle laugh. Hang the boy. Can't I never learn anything? Ain't he played me tricks enough like that for me to be looking out for him by this time? Ah, but old fools, the biggest fools there is. I can't learn an old dog new tricks, as the saying is. But my goodness, he never played them alike. Two days, and how a body is to know what's coming. He pairs to just know how long he can torment me before I get my dander up. And he knows he can make out uh, to put me off for a minute and make me laugh. It's all down again, and I can't hit him a lick. I ain't doing my duty by that boy. That's the Lord's truth. Goodness knows. Spare the rod and spile the child, as the good book says. I'm a-laying up sin and suffering for us both. I know. He's full of old scratch. But laws of me, he's my own dead sister's boy, poor thing, and I ain't got the heart to lash him somehow. Every time I let him off, ah, my conscience does hurt me so. And every time I hit him, my old heart almost breaks. Well, oh well, man that is born of woman is a few days full of trouble, as the scripture says, and I reckon it is so. He'll play hooky ah, this evening and southwestern for afternoon. Ooh, what does that mean? I'll just be obliged to make him work. Tomorrow to punish him. It's mighty hard to make him work Saturdays when all the boys are having a holiday, but he hates work more than he hates anything else. And I've got to do some of my duty by him, or I'll be the ruination of the child. Well, Tom did play hooky. Ah, he had a good time. I got back home barely in season to help Jim, the small colored boy. Oh boy, here we go. Saw the next day wood and split the kindlings before supper. At least yeah, he was there in time to tell his adventures to Jim, while Jim did three-fourths of the work. Tom's younger brother, or rather half-brother, Sid... It was already through his part of the work, uh, picking up chips. For he was a quiet boy and had no adventurous, troublesome ways. While Tom was eating his supper and stealing sugar as opportunity offered, Aunt Polly asked him questions that were full of guile and very deep, for she wanted to trap him into damaging revealments. Like many other simple-hearted souls, it was her pet vanity to believe uh, she was endowed with a talent for dark, mysterious diplomacy and she loved to contemplate her most transparent devices as marvels of low cunning. Said she, Tom, it was a middling warm in the school, wasn't it? Uh, yes'm. Powerful warm, weren't it? Uh, yes'm. Didn't you want to go uh, a swimming, Tom? A bit of scare shot through Tom, a touch of uncomfortable suspicion. He searched on Polly's face, but it told him nothing, so he said, Know him? Well, not very much. The old lady reached out her hand and felt Tom's shirt and said, But you ain't too warm now, though. And it flattered her to reflect that she had discovered that the shirt was dry without anybody knowing that it was what she had in her mind. But despite her, Tom knew where the wind lay now. For he forestalled what might be the next move. Uh, some of us pumped her in our heads. Mine's damp yet, see? Aunt Polly was vexed to think that she had overlooked that bit of circumstantial evidence and missed the trick. 
then she had a new inspiration. Tom, you don't have to undo your shirt collar where I sewed it. The pump on your head, did you? Eh, unbutton your jacket. The trouble vanished out of Tom's face. He opened his jacket. His shirt collar was securely sewed. Bother. Well, go along with you. I make sure you played hooky today and been to swimming, but I forgive you, Tom. I reckon you're a kind of a, sing, a singed cat. A singed cat. And the saying is, better than you look this time. She was half sorry for her sadgety and miscarried and half glad that Tom had stumbled into obedient conduct for once. But Sidney said, Well, now, if I didn't think you sewed his collar with a white thread, yeah, but it's black. Why, well, I did sew with the right white thread. Tom! But Tom did not wait for the rest. As he went out the door, he said, I said, yeah, I'll lick you for that. Yeah, safe place, Tom examined two large needles, which were thrust into the lapels of his jacket, and he had thread bound around them. One needle carried a white thread, the other black. He said, she'd never noticed if it hadn't been for Sid, confounded. Sometimes she sews it with white, and sometimes she sews it with black. I wish to G-Miney that she'd stick to one or t'other. I can't keep the run of them. But I bet you'll lay... I'll, I'll, what? I'll lamb Sid for that. Something about the uh, writing of this is harder than any of the other writings, <laughs> which is more classical and stuff. Uh, this uh, weird southern dialect is kind of getting to me. I'll learn him. He was not the model boy of the village. Yeah, he knew the model boy very well enough. He loathed him. Within two weeks, or even less, he had forgotten all his troubles, not because his troubles were one whit less heavy and bitter to him than a man's are to a man, but because a new and powerful interest bore them down and drove them out of his mind. For the time, just as men's misfortunes are forgiven in the excitement of new enterprises, this new interest was a valued novelty in whistling, which he had just acquired from a... Oh, God. i got to start making decisions here. It's not the N-word, but it's pretty close. I think I'm just going to say the N-word. <laughs> I have to start making uh, plans here, some rules about how I handle this language. From an N-word. <laughs> God, this is bad. And he was suffering to practice it undisturbed. It consisted in a uh, peculiar bird-like term, a sort of uh, liquid warble, produced by touching a tongue to his roof of his mouth at short intervals, intervals in the midst of the music and... The reader probably remembers how to do it. If he has ever been a boy, uh, diligence and attention soon gave him the knack of it, and he strode down the street with his mouth full of harmony and his soul full of gratitude. He felt much uh, as an astronomer feels who has discovered a new planet. No doubt. As far as strong, deep, and, and uh, annoyed pleasure is concerned, the advantage was with the boy, not the astronomer. The summer evenings... Yeah, we're long. It was not dark yet. Presently, Tom checked his whistle. A stranger was before him, a, a boy, a shade larger than himself, a, a newcomer. Of any age or either sex was an impressive curiosity in the poor little shabby village of St. Petersburg. This boy was well-dressed, ah, too. He was dressed on a weekday. This was simply astounding. His cap was a dainty thing, his close-buttoned blue cloth roundabout as new and natty. And so were his pantaloons. He had shoes on, and it was only Friday. 
He even wore a necktie, a bright bit of ribbon. He had a citified air about him that aided Tom's vitals. (laughs) The more Tom stared at the splendid marvel, the higher he turned up his nose at the finery and the shabbier and shabbier his own outfit seemed to grow. Neither boy spoke. If one moved, eh, the other moved, but only sideways, in a circle. Yeah, they kept face to face and eye to eye all the time. Finally, Tom said, Yeah, I can lick you. Yeah, I'd like to see you try it. Well, I can do it. No, you can't either. Ah, oh, yes, I can. Oh, no, you can't. I can. You can't. I can. Can't. An uncomfortable pause. Then Tom said, Yeah, what's your name? Tisn't any of your business, maybe. Well, I low and I'll make it my business. Oh, why don't you? If you say so much, I will. Much, much, much. There now. Oh, you think you're mighty smart, don't you? I could lick you with one hand tied behind me if I wanted to. Well, why don't you do it? You say you can do it. Well, I will, if you fool with me. Oh, yes, I've seen whole families in the same fix. Smarty, if you think you're some now, don't you? Oh, what a hat. <laughs> you can lump the hat in if you, you don't like it. I dare you to knock it off. And anybody that'll dare will suck eggs. <laughs> You're a liar. You're another. You're a fighting liar. And uh, doesn't take it up. I'm starting to lose track of who's talking. Ah, uh, take a walk. Say, if you give me much more of your sass, I'll take and bounce a rock off in your head. I think that that's Tom Sawyer. Oh, of course you will. Well, I will. Well, why don't you do it then? Uh, What do you keep saying you will do for? Why don't you do it? Is it because you're afraid? I ain't afraid. Yeah, you are. I ain't. You are. Another pause. And more eyeing and sidling around each other. Presently, they were shoulder to shoulder. Tom said, Now, get away from here. Yeah, go away yourself. I won't. I won't either. So they stood, each with a foot placed at an angle as a brace, and both shoving with might and main, and glowering at each other with hate. Eh, but neither could get an advantage after struggling till both were hot and flushed. Each relaxed his strain with watchful caution. And Tom said, Ah, you're a coward and a pup. I'll tell my big brother on you, and he can thrash you with his little finger. I'll make him do it, too. Now, what do I care for your big brother? I've got a brother that's bigger than he is. And what's more, uh, he can throw him over that fence, too. Both brothers uh, were imaginary. Now, that's a lie. You're saying so doesn't make it so. Tom drew a line in the dust with his big toe. And he said, I dare you to step over that, and I'll lick you till you can't stand up. Anybody that'll take a dare will steal sheep. (laughs) The new boy stepped over promptly and said, Now, you said you'd do it. Now let's see you do it. Don't you crop me now. You better look out. Well, you said you'd do it. Why don't you do it? Ah, by Jingo, for two cents, I will do it. The new boy took two broad coppers out of his pocket and held them without derision. Tom struck them to the ground. In an instant, both boys were rolling and tumbling in the dirt, gripped together like cats, and for the space of a minute, they tugged and tore at each other's hair and clothes, punched and scratched over each other's nose, and covered themselves with dust and glory. Presently, the confusion took form, and through the fog of battle, Tom appeared, 
seated astride the new boy, and pounding him with his fists. Holler enough, he said. The boy only struggled to free himself. He was crying, mainly from rage. Holler enough, and the pounding went on. At last, the stranger got out a smothered nuff, and Tom led him up and said, Now, that'll learn you. Better look out for who you're fooling with next time. The new boy went off, brushing the dust from his clothes, sobbing, snuffling, and occasionally looking back and shaking his head and threatening what he would do to Tom the next time he caught him out. To which Tom responded uh, with cheers and uh, started on a high feather. And as soon as he got back, he turned the new boy, snatched up a stone, and he threw it at him and hit him between the shoulders and then turned tail and ran like an antelope. Tom chased the traitor home and thus found out where he lived. He then held a position at the gate for some time, daring the enemy to come outside, but the enemy only made faces at him through the window and declined. At last, now the enemy's mother appeared and Tom and called Tom a bad, vicious, vulgar child, and ordered him away. Yeah, so he went away, but he said he loathed to lay for that boy. He got home pretty late that night, and then he climbed cautiously in at the window. He uncovered an, uh, an ambushcod, 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 <laughs> An attack from an ambush. All right. In the person of his aunt. And when he saw the state of his clothes, were in her resolution to turn his Saturday holiday into captivity. At hard labor, became animated with his foreigners. Well, what did we learn here today? Well, I had my first N-word of the story so far, and I think I handled it like a champ. And we learned that kids love scrapping and yelling. <laughs> they uh, get in trouble, they play hooky, they go swimming. There was a whole thing about the thread on the shirt that I was a little bit uh, messed up about, but uh, let's move on. We learn that if you see a, a hoity-toity, a rich kid, all dressed up in his Sunday best on a Friday, well, that just can't stand. You need to beat the crap out of him. Screw the rich. I think that's the point of this story. Also, jerks. I think I can actually carry my theme over from uh, the beginning of the show. Uh, who's the jerk here? Is it Tom Sawyer? Is it Huck Finn? We don't know. One of them's a jerk, or maybe they're both equally jerks. When it came to the woman criticizing me about watering my lawn, was she the jerk, or was she simply an extension of my own consciousness, where I am also the jerk? The woman who decided to take my couch and then hit on me and get angry when I didn't want to do that, uh, she the jerk, or am I the jerk for bringing a woman into my house, unaided, We'll never know. So, with that, uh, next week we will continue on with Chapter 2 from Huck Finn. If I'm lucky, I can drag this whole book out all summer long. Ah, that'll be an easy out for me since I'm running out of things to read. It turns out the world of public domain is a lot smaller than I assumed it was. 
I'm starting to run out of stuff. So, uh, we'll see if this book can get me through it. Thanks for listening, and uh, I will see you next week. <laughs>